You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, hey, good morning and happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the room. Uh, we are so grateful for you. And if you are so blessed to be able to be with your mom today, to see her, give her a big hug around the neck and hold it just kind of those awkward couple of extra seconds Uh, whispering to her how much you love her and how much you appreciate her. Uh, We love you, moms. We are in an important series that we are calling Open House. And for us, we opened this new facility about eight weeks ago, and uh, our, our heartbeat is that you belong here. No matter who you are or or where you come from, we believe you can find a place to belong here, a place to find joy, a place to find hope, a place that that God can can show you his purpose for your life. And so uh, I believe you can find community here. And so we're grateful that you're here. And we've been talking about our core values as a church and, and why these issues are so important to us. In week one, we started by saying that Jesus is life. It's all about sharing the gospel. And so we talked about why Jesus' life, and many uh, people came to know Christ that day. Week two, we said growth happens in relationships. And so we talked about how it's all about relational discipleship, and I encourage you to get involved in a small group and build community. And a lot of our small groups are coming to a conclusion this spring, but summer Bible studies start in June. And if you want to get plugged into one, go to the Connect Center today, and they will answer your questions and help you get connected Week three, we said we can't stay here. And so for, for us, we can't just gather on Sunday morning and, and uh, sing Kumbaya and, and just stay here forever. The whole goal of being here is to be equipped to go out and to live in this city, in this community, at work, at school, when we're uh, you know, in our, uh, doing hobbies and whatever else. And we're taking the gospel with us because it's all about making disciples. And then we said, it's not about me on week four. We said that everybody needs to get involved in ministry. It's about serving. And so every single follower of Christ needs to get engaged in ministry and serving in some capacity in our church. And then we said generosity is a lifestyle on week three. It's about investing in the vision. And so uh, we, we, we talked about how, you know, being a generous person isn't just about being generous once a year at Christmas time. It's about becoming more like Christ, and Christ was a giver. He gave his life for God to love the world that he gave. And so the more we are generous, the more we become like God. And I gave a really challenging um, uh, assignment, and that was to come back last week on Giving Sunday, and I encouraged everybody to give 10% on one day. And I was excited that we almost hit a 30% increase in the amount of giving to our church. So I was super excited about that. And those of you that took that challenge. And so I want to encourage you that if you did not take that challenge, man, trust God. Put God first. And I know that those who are are experiencing that blessing. We can do so much more together for this city and for the kingdom of God if and, 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 and when we are willing to prioritize God in our finances. And then last week we talked about Jesus deserves our best. We talked about that it's all about authentic worship. And so we talked about every time we come into this room, it's not about, oh, what am I going to get? What are they going to do for me today? We come to church and our mentality is we're here to give Jesus our best, whether that's in giving, that's singing, that's, that's serving, that's our attitude. God, what do you want me to do today with what I've heard and what I've experienced? So that's confessing and doing whatever God is calling us to do. Every time we, we meet together as a church, Jesus deserves our best. And today I want to talk about our final core value, and it is this. The next generation matters. The next generation 
matters. And so I want to spend some time today unpacking that thought. If you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Psalm chapter 78. It's really kind of right in the middle of your Bible. And I want to talk to you today about why the next generation matters to Foothills Church. And so let's start today with a definition of of the next generation. Who is the next gen? What does that even mean? And it's pretty simple. The next generation, here's a definition, is any generation that is coming after you. So any generation that is coming after you is the next generation. So if you're older, uh, there's two or three generations under you. Or if you're in middle school or high school today, there are generations that are in Kid Street today that are, are growing. And, and, and every generation that comes after you is the next generation. We care about them. We want to invest into them. And so uh, let's start today with a generation um, kind of review. And so uh, we're, we're a church that has multi-generations in the room. And so let's walk through these generations and, and we'll do this with pictures. And so guys, if you'll show the first image, what generation was this called? Anybody know? Called the greatest generation. A lot of people call it the builder generation. So the builder generation, they were born between 1929 and 1945. They were in World War II. They went through the Great Depression. They were killing Nazis as teenagers, and they came home from the world, and they built the greatest generation and the greatest country the world has ever seen. Um, how many in the room are actually from the greatest generation? Anybody? I say, how many of you? Just kidding. That's an easy joke. So yeah, great generation. Here's the next image. What generation is this? The baby boomer generation. So these are folks that were born in 1946 to 1964. Everybody got home from the war and they missed, you know, each other. And nine months later, they started having babies. In fact, there were 72 million of them born. And I know we have a lot of baby boomers in the room today. This is the generation that went through Woodstock, went through Vietnam. The next generation, how many of you guys know the name of this group, if you'll put the picture up? This was Generation X, right? Some people call them the Buster Generation. So this is the MTV Generation, 1965 to 1983. Roe v. Wade happened during this time period. Hip-hop and rap music was birthed. Big Hair was in style, and Cheers was the greatest show on TV, right? <laughs> Generation X. They call them the Buster Generation as well. I, I kind of feel like it's, it's like two different groups, and generationally, this is all kind of up in the air. Sociologists kind of, you know, don't really have fine definitions of when, but, you know, they call them the Busters as well because, you know, the increase in birth control and Roe v. Wade happened after the baby boomer, and so there was a bust in how many babies were, were birthed in America, and so it was a much, much lower number of babies born, and so that was Generation X or Gen X, and then there was this generation. How many of you guys know who this gen is? Taking the selfie, yeah. This is Generation Y, um, or you might know them as the Millennials. They were born in 1984 to the year 2000. They grew up with technology like never before. They grew up wearing a helmet to everything, including school. <laughs> and they are also called the Peter Pan generation because some of them don't want to grow up and become an adult. <laughs> And so we're going to talk a lot about them today. Uh, and then there, my kids are in this generation. This is 
a generation. It doesn't have a name yet, uh, but they are going by Generation Z right now. And uh, they grew up with a screen. They grew up with iPhones and iPads. And uh, this is the group that doesn't even know what it's like not to have the internet. They have no idea what life is like without social media, and they have no idea what it feels like to have a winning UT football program. (laughs) I mean, it's sad, but it's the truth, right? They don't know what it feels like. And so we're going to get back to it, though, or this is our year, right? This is our year. So yeah, when when it comes to generations, um, it's really easy to demonize the next generation and, and really immortalize previous generations, isn't it? And even how I've communicated this so far, I've kind of done that, haven't I? Because it's kind of easy to look at the young kids growing up today and why do they do what they do? All these young kids with the bright colors and they're wearing holes in their jeans and skinny jeans. And back in my day, when we had a hole in our jeans, we patched it, right? We put a patch in it. And mom made my jeans and all this kind of stuff. And it's kind of fun to make fun of other generations, no matter what generation you're in, either older generations or younger generations. It's really easy to do that. Maybe if you're in your 50s, you've kind of had this conversation with your kids or somebody. So if you're in your 50s, you might say, man, all these young kids today, they all get a new car when they turn 16. Back in my day, we had to borrow dad's beat up Chevy and we liked it. And then his dad said, we didn't even get a car. Cars weren't invented. We had to walk to school uphill, both ways, in the snow, right? And then his dad said, we didn't even have school. <laughs> we rode horses. <laughs> oh man, it's, it's fun to kind of pick on each other. And it's, and, it's, and it's really easy to look at, you know, the younger generations that come after us as being lazy or not put together or not organized or, you know, they don't have their stuff in order. But, I mean, it's fair to say that every generation has its problems, right? I mean, let's not forget that the civil rights movement happened because our, our previous generations missed the mark big time, right? The sexual revolution of the 60s paved the way for the internet as we know it today and social media, And so uh, I think it's fair to say that previous generations uh, are filled with sin and had their fair share of problems, just like generations today. And so what I want to begin to help you do today is kind of begin to move your frame of mind towards the next generation. And, And really, here's the bottom line today. Instead of seeing the next generation as a problem, see them as a solution, would it look like in your life to start looking at the next generation, the generations that come after you, not as a problem or the problem, but to start viewing them as the solution? Because here's the reality. They have an opportunity to get some things right that you and I got wrong. They have an opportunity to do things differently. They have an opportunity to reach more people with the gospel than we were able to do. They have an opportunity with technology and with the way that our world works now, with, 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 with leveraging technology, to do more for the kingdom of God than any of us ever did or even dreamed of. So what would it look like for us to begin to think in terms of our legacy and thinking in terms of how are we going to pass on what we know? How are we going to equip them and encourage them to become the man or the woman that God is calling them to become and to do the things for the kingdom of God that God is calling them to do? 
Well, I think it boils down to, do you want to leave a positive legacy? I mean, I, I would hope everybody here today is here because you want to leave a positive legacy. And sometimes we don't think about it and sometimes we don't, you know, plan for it. But, but I, I would hope that you want to leave a positive legacy and, and help the next generation be equipped to do everything that God has called them to do. And so I want us to turn to Psalm 78 for some guidance and for the word of God. This is uh, Asaph with really a sermon. And uh, this is the, uh, a man under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writing the very words of God to you and I today. And so let's read it together. It says this in verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Why? Because these are the very words of God. We pay attention. Verse 2. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Verse 2, these dark sayings. Now, this is a difficult Hebrew word to translate into English. Uh, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And so this dark saying, some, some translate this as a weighty truth or a mystery from of old. And so I think a weighty truth is the best way to really understand this word today. And, and, and what he is saying is, I, I've got this weighty truth. I've got this important wisdom. And it came from way back right? It came from, from way back, and I heard it from my father, verse 3. My father told him, and, and my grandfather told him, and, 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 and God's power and might was demonstrated to him, and he shared what God did, and, and so my father told me. Now, I look around the room today, and I realize that half of you grew up without a father, and you would read that, and you would say, my dad didn't teach me anything because he wasn't around, you know, he wasn't around, he didn't, he didn't teach me anything, and Generation X was really the first generation that experienced widespread divorce. Like, like it wasn't a normal thing, and then my generation, all of my friends and people that were, were, were growing up in that time frame started to experience this, this, this act that now is, is common to, you know, Generation Y. It's just normal, but for, for my generation, it was this huge thing that, that was really changing the landscape of America. And I realized that some of you don't have a dad. And so you would see that and say, man, my dad's not going to say anything. Or maybe you had a dad that was silent. He was there, but he wasn't, really, he wasn't really sharing anything with me. He wasn't connecting with me emotionally and definitely not spiritually. Or maybe some of you would say, I'm still trying to get over what my dad said to me. <laughs> you know, he spoke and I'm trying to get over it. And no matter what kind of relationship you had with your dad. Let me, just, let me just say this to the men in the room. Men, as spiritual, mature followers of Christ, which you are trying to be, and many of you are, where are you at for the next generation? Do you not realize 
that the teenagers, the middle schoolers, and the children today are growing up with no father. Or they're growing up with a father who's not speaking this weighty truth into their life, not sharing the gospel, not sharing the weighty truth of the scripture. And so as a man of God, it's not just important for me to teach my own kids. I've got to accept the responsibility that the community in which I live in also demands my attention. And it's not just my kids, but it's my kids and my kids' friends. And the, the people that they play sports with and the people that they hang out with. And, and so my heart is like, okay, I want to invest in my kids. But, but now they're bringing friends into my house and, and onto the court. We're playing and we're with these kids and these families. And I'm like, man, so many, half of them don't have a dad in the picture. So God, how can I pour into, how can I think, come on Wednesday nights when student ministry is meeting and you'll see hundreds of kids that don't have a spiritual father. We, we have hundreds of spiritual orphans in this church. And, and we could go into the thousands of the next gen in our city that don't have a spiritual father in their life. And what are you doing? Oh, I'm too busy. I got to become successful. And I got big stuff happening over here, bro. So I got to work on this. And I got to work. And I got to work late. And I'm making, I'm making money, man. And I got to do my thing. And oh, I'm giving money. And I'm providing. But you're absent when it comes to a spiritual investment. And so when we say the next gen matters, if you believe that, where are you at? Like, what are you doing? If you want to leave a, you want to leave a legacy and you're putting 60, 70 hours at the office, I don't see it. Like, you got to show up. You got to be present, right? That's step one. And so he, we, he, he says, look, we, we are learning this from our fathers, but so many in this generation are not. Verse 4, he says, we've got we've to tell them we're not going to hide this truth from them. We're not going to hide this from them. We've got to tell the coming generation this weighty truth. Not to condemn them and beat them on, a head, on their heads with a Bible when they mess up and walk with them in judgment. You kids out there. <laughs> you ever watch Scooby-Doo? Did you ever watch that as a kid? And I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for them young kids, you know. That's why I feel like we act a lot of times. It's like these young kids and wave our finger. Instead of walking around in judgment, why don't we walk around with the grace of the gospel? Bro, you really messed up there. That was terrible. But let me tell you, here's what the Bible says. Here's who you are in Christ. And here's who you could be. So that's grace, right? And, and that's looking, let's look down the road. That's, that's casting vision into their life. Generation Y, let's talk about them for a minute. I think it's important. If we want to help them, we've got to understand them a little bit better. So if you're a Gen Xer, baby boomer um, in the room or older, then, then we've got to get to know them. We've got to study them. And by the way, they're the largest generation in the history of the world. We thought the baby boomer generation was big with 76 million, where Gen Y is 95 million strong. There are 3 billion Gen Zs around the world. There are more Generation Ys in the workforce than any other generation. And so if you are employed today, you are working with or around or above or maybe even under some Generation Y uh, generations. And so, so how do we deal with them? How can we help them? And, and so I think understanding what they went through is helpful because each of us have a, a worldview and a framework 
by and large, uh, uh, of how we grew up and, and, and what generation we grew up in. And so think about what they grew up in. Think about the reality that, that terrorism for them has always been a reality. Like, I didn't grow up with that. If you're a baby member, you didn't grow up with that. You didn't know what Al-Qaeda, Qaeda, however you say it, was or is. You know, ISIS, you don't even know what that was. Osama bin Laden was murdered uh, during their childhood. You, you don't know what it was like to every October get excited about a new iPhone when you're a kid. Because when you were a kid, there was no such thing, right? But for them, they're growing up, an iPhone, Apple Watch, iPad, always coming out with the brand new one, right, every October. And so can't wait to get the next whatever is coming out. In Connecticut, a school shooting killed 26 little kids, followed by 80 different school shootings, depending on what news media you watch and believe. There have been a lot of them, right? I didn't have to worry about that as a kid. School shootings, what are you talking about? Columbine didn't happen until I was in college, and so I went through my whole education and I didn't really even think about that. It didn't even, didn't even cross my mind that anybody could be so evil. This is what Gen Y grew up in. Facebook surpassed a billion active users in their childhood. Now there's over 200 social media sites that now exist, engaging our kids with people all over the world. It's not just the next door neighbor that we have to worry about now, mom and dad. It's the guy that lives on the other side of the world in Europe or Australia that's impacting our kids as well. And so this is a different generation. Tim Elmore wrote a book entitled Generation IY. Very helpful book if you're a parent, teacher, coach, mentor. Uh, I, I would encourage you to read it. And he talked about five different things that really help us identify who they are and how they think and what they grew up with and subsequently how they view the world. And so let me go through those. The, the first thing is, he says, they have grown up in a world filled with speed. Everything is fast. So that they interpret or, or they, they, they think that slow is bad. Right? Because their world is filled with speed, they consequently assume that slow is bad. Everything is fast. Fast food, fast internet, fast classes, right? Oh, I can't focus longer than eight minutes, so you got to talk fast. And I, wanna, I don't want to talk on the phone. I want to text because text is faster. I want to fast pass at Disney World because, God forbid, I wait in line with all the other peasants in the world. <laughs> I want it fast, right? Which means if, fa if fast isn't happening, then, then slow is bad. Slow is bad. I can't, can't, I don't want slow. I want fast, right? Well, when it comes to spiritual maturity, how do you grow? Does that take time or is that fast? Well, that takes time, doesn't it? Sometimes that takes a whole season, a season of adversity, seasons of suffering, seasons where it doesn't go your way. And God uses those seasons in your life to, to mature you spiritually. And so as a Gen Y person, if that's you or you're working with them, for me to help you understand, like just because it's slow doesn't mean it's bad, right? Great things happen to those who, what? Wait, yeah, I mean, so slow is not so bad. Secondly, he says they grew up in a world of convenience. A world of convenience. So hard is bad. Everything's got to be convenient. I've got convenience stores. I've got an app for everything, and I can order food on the app. I can pay bills on my app. And if I show up for that food and it's not ready, then I want to complain because you should have had it ready. And Right? So everything's convenient. So if it's not convenient, it's interpreted as hard. 
I know there's teachers in the room, and I haven't heard any amens. I haven't heard any praise of Jesus. Preach it. I haven't heard any of that. But I know you know what I'm talking about. I was reading about how one teacher was, was, um, was, was writing and saying what she uh, constantly hears from her students is that this is hard. This is hard, right? In class, you, you, you might hear this from this generation because you've got, you've got these, these students who have grown up in a world of convenient. Uh, everything is easy and fast and convenient. And so if I actually have to do homework and study and I have to like, like figure it out, that's not convenient. So that's hard, right? We all had to figure out the math problem. We had to figure out the paper and we had to read the book. We all had to do it, right? But, but they interpret it as hard as being bad. And, and man, anything worth experiencing and having is going to need us to work hard, right? So if you're talking about sports and practice isn't convenient for me because I, I've got Fortnite tonight. You know, I got a whole game. I got this whole 50 v 50 thing back and I got to go after it. And right. Some of you are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. And <laughs> all the baby boomers are like, dude, what are you saying? So convenience, so hard is bad. I, I need to move on. Number three, entertainment. So they grew up in a world of entertainment. Therefore, boring is bad. How many of you had your kids say, this is boring. I can't stand it. It's boring. We're at church. That's boring. School is boring. Everything is boring. Why? Because they grew up with a screen, with a, with a movie, constantly Netflix, constantly a game. You're guilty of this, mom and dad. You go to restaurants, your kid cries, and you shove an app in their face so they'll shut up. You do it, right? I did it. And so they learned that, okay, entertainment is, is the purpose of life. And if I'm not entertained, I am bored. How many of you in my generation or beyond, like, grew up, and when you were bored as a kid, you created a really dumb game and you just played it? Anybody play dumb games? Yeah. You don't have to tell us about them today because it would be embarrassing. But one game I, I, I did all the time, I didn't create it, but, you know, you ever get a baseball glove and a tennis ball? And go out in the driveway, you know what I'm talking about, and you throw the, you throw the ball up on the, on the roof and it rolled down, you, you caught it. Did anybody play that game with me? Oh, my gen did it right, and, 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 and over. If I were to ask my kids to play that game, they'd look at me like I was insane. Like, it's just going to roll back down, Dad. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to catch it or not catch it, right? So what is the point? How do you win that? And here's the deal. Like when you're bored as a kid, like you just create stuff to do, right? Here's what neurologists are actually saying, that our brain's capacity for creativity grows when we're bored. So when you're bored as a kid, and those synapses and all those electrons in our brain start firing because I'm bored and I need something to do, and we create a game or we create something, you know, imaginative, Boom, our, 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 something in our brain functions and, 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 and grows and is established there that later on in life when you're trying to figure out a relational problem or you're trying to figure out, you know, who to date or to get married and get a job and to move out of your mom and dad's house, like you need those problem-solving skills that, oh, back when I was a kid, those things grew and those things developed. And so, yeah, I think it's important for us to be bored. Uh, it's important for kids to experience some boredom so they can get some creativity in their life. Number four, he says they grew up in a, 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 a world of nurture. And so now they see risk is bad. Risk is bad. A lot of, lot of graduating high schoolers 
don't want to move away from home. They don't want to go to college. They don't want to move out of the basement. They don't want to move out. They don't want to go away. Why? Risky. Too risky. School? Risky. Right? Why? They grew up in a world of nurture. I mean, this is the the helmet generation, right? They had safety seats, safety belts, safety policies everywhere. They can't ride a bike without a helmet. They can't go 20 feet you know, away from the home. They've been discouraged from going anywhere on their own. They've been shielded from financial realities, and they spent much of their time inside in front of a screen. So risk is bad. This is safe. This is comfortable. Nurture. Uh, this is a big deal in, in the um, sociologist world and the psychologist world. I don't know if you've read anything about this, but you can Google it. But there's this whole big thing uh, about taking the monkey bars off the playgrounds. Have you read about this? Back in my day, there were monkey bars, and you figured it out. And if you didn't, you fell and you broke your arm, right? You got a cast, and you liked it. You moved on. But because that's dangerous, we've gotten rid of the monkey bars, right? And so now psychologists, sociologists, uh, those in the educational world, they're, they're like, okay, we took away the monkey bars, and, and what's happening to our kids? Well, they're saying the same motor skills and the same problem-solving skills that it takes to figure out how to do the monkey bars are, again, the same skills you need to get out of your parents' house, to get a job, to get a Make a, a living for yourself. And uh, so we're seeing a generation that is, is having issues with those common things. And so I think um, it, it was a helpful comment. Elmore wrote this, when parents are overprotective, here's how it fleshes out in, in, their, in their world. And so when their kids are in elementary school, early on, it's taking a backpack or a permission slip to school because your kids forgot it. Instead of them facing the consequences, you overprotect and overnurture and, 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 and fix the problem for them. And then in middle school, it's helping them complete a class project at the last minute. Oh, I forgot. You ever had that from your kids? And it's like 10 o'clock. And then what do you do? Do you help them? Do you do it? Right? I've gone, to, I've gone to school with the kids, you know, and they've had to do a project. And, you know, we make our kids do their own project, by the way. So you can tell they did it. You show up, you see all these immaculate things going on and all these wonderful creations. You're like, how does that five-year-old create that? Well, <laughs> mom and dad spent a lot of time in the garage making it, right? And so, so it comes in that form. In high school, it's calling a teacher and making an excuse for your kid. Let him take a retake, right? We've, the dog ate the homework and, you know, making an excuse. And then in college, it's negotiating grades with professors. And college professors are actually saying this is, is happening. One girl I was reading about, she's in class. She calls her mom because she gets a bad grade on one of the exams. And then during the class, as the professor is trying to teach, she says, my mom wants to talk to you. <laughs> Can you believe that? You better get out of that classroom with that, right? Number five, he talks about entitlement. So this is a generation that grew up with this entitlement mindset, which, which has led them to believe that labor or work is hard. Entitlement, I deserve this, right? And so entitlement makes you think you know more than you actually do and, and that you deserve more than you actually need. 
And so a lot of uh, uh, younger folks today, they believe they, they have this entitlement. And so they believe they're ready to be the manager, right? And, and they've got no experience. <laughs> they, they don't have the right education, but they're ready to be the man, right? And so they're going to ask you for a raise. Some of you guys are in management now, and you've been asked for a raise from, from a, a Gen Wire. And you're like, how long have you been working here? And they're like, three weeks, <laughs> Right? And so it's like, you better get out of my face with that. But really, that happens. And so I want the promotion. I want, the, I, I, I want that. Why? Because there's this entitlement um, uh, uh, happening. And so, so teachers in the room, coaches, mentors, uh, small group leaders, um, almost pastors going to be pastors, anybody in the room that wants to help the next gen, have this conversation with, with the next gen, gen, gen Y, especially teachers in the room. How many teachers in the room, by the way? Can I see a show of hands? Are you guys almost done with school or have you thought about that? <laughs> I can't believe I haven't, I didn't hear a woohoo after that. Like in the first service, they were like, three days or whatever it was. So like you, you, you're doing awesome. You're pouring into our kids. And no matter what your lesson plan is, teachers, no matter what the goal of the day is, when the opportunity presents itself, I just want to encourage you to take this today. Maybe, maybe remember it in the future. Take those moments in your classroom for the in case your parents haven't told you yet moment. Right? Because we're counting on you. We're counting on you to fill in the gaps. <laughs> and, 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 and there are so many gaps right now, right, in our culture and for Gen Y uh, and, and, and for Gen Z that's, that's coming up, we need those moments. Hey, in case your parents didn't tell you, when you graduate, you're going to have to start at the ground level. And when you take a vacation, you've got to get it approved, and you're probably only going to get about seven to ten days, right? Because they expect, you know, three weeks, four or five weeks off, and, you know, <laughs> you know all of these expectations. And you've got to have these in case your parents haven't told you moments, and I hope you'll, I hope you'll do that. So what, what are we going to tell this future generation? How are we going to help them? Well, let's go back to our scripture here. Let's see what he says. He says in verse 4, we want to tell this generation the glorious deeds of God. In other words, the praiseworthy acts of God's. So translation, here's what you worship. That's what we got to do. If you care about the next generation, you've got to point them to Jesus. Here's who you worship. Don't worship popularity. Don't worship money. Don't worship a relationship. Worship Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. The whole reason why you are here is about Jesus. He has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for your life. Follow his plan. Your plan, no good. Your plan, desperation. Your plan, emptiness. His plan, joy, power, right? Point them to Jesus. Here's what you worship. Right? We talked about worship last week, and so we want our, this next generation uh, to see examples of that. And so here's the Word of God. And, and, and here are here's some examples of, of how to worship Jesus and how not to. You know, we looked at Cain and Abel last week. Here's a story. Here's a great story and, 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 and lesson from the life of David. And here, here's how he really messed up. He didn't follow God's plan. He worshiped, uh, he, he worshiped other things, Right? And so, oh yeah, and then here's some examples from my life. Here's where I missed it. Here's where I messed up. And so we're able to point them to Jesus and to show them who they should actually worship and give their life to. Secondly, verse 4, we show them his might, his power. So we've got to teach them and show them the power of God. Here's what you must trust in. Again, we trust in his power. 
We don't trust in our relationships. We don't trust in our ability to figure things out. We don't trust in, you know, professors in college. We don't trust in our emotions because our emotions change from day to day. We trust in the power of God. Therefore, if you're going through a difficult situation, trust in God. Going through adversity, you don't know the answer. You feel like you're all alone. You feel broken. You don't understand why things are happening a certain way in your life. Trust in God. Trust in his plan. Trust in his purpose. He is still God today. And we remind them and we show them. And oh, by the way, we remind ourselves as we teach and as we show and as we model, we show them the power of God. And then verse 5, he says, hey, look, we're going to, he, he set up, he appointed a law in Israel. This is the old covenant. Think, think 10 commandments here. He says, our, 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 we were commanded to give them to the next generation so that they would set their hope in God and not forget the work of God. And don't miss this and not be like previous generations. We like to idolize previous generations and demonize the next gen. But here we see the absolute reverse. We see that the previous gen and how they messed up. And now this next gen, we got to put them on the right path. Why? Because they can figure it out. There's hope. They can do it. They're going to do it. If we'll do everything we can, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, invest into them and show them the power of God and examples of the power of God and, and, and who to worship. And then this, this law, this Old Testament, this covenant, it's essentially saying this is the truth of God. We point them to the truth of God. In other words, here's how you live. Here's how you live. And so the Old Covenant was given to us through Moses and the Ten Commandments, and then Jesus comes and he fulfills the Old Covenant. He gives us a new covenant that by faith in Jesus, now we have salvation. And he takes the Old Covenant and he says, you have heard that it was said, do not murder, but I'm telling you not to have anger in your heart towards your brother. So he takes the Old Testament and he, he increases it. He raises the bar. He raises the standard and he shows us how to live our life. And he puts it all in the word of God. Here's how you live. Here's why you live that way. And so as a dad, as a, as a leader, teachers, coaches, mentors, anybody in here that cares about your legacy, that cares about the next generation, we've got to point them to the truth of God's word and show them here's where you get hope. You don't get hope in a salary. You don't get hope in an experience like a vacation and all of these, all this entertainment. That's not where you get your hope. You get your hope from the gospel. You get your hope from the Lord. Don't put your hope or confidence in technology. It's not dependable. And so I know some of you are probably saying, man, I, I, I've done that with my kids. I want to do that. I want to take that step. And, and, and some of you might have a, a son or a daughter who is far from the Lord today. And you're like, what about that, Trent? I, I, did I mess up? What, what did I miss? And, and I know a lot of times, even on you know, days like this, you know, when we're trying to celebrate, there's some guilt there. Like, I, whew, not not what I should have been or whatever. And I just like to remind people, have you stopped being their mom or dad? All of a sudden they hit their 30s and then you're like, I'm, I'm not their dad anymore. Of course not. You're always going to be their mother, their father. It looks different, obviously, but it just means that your job isn't done yet. 
So don't throw up your hands like you failed. Recognize that you're still parenting. You're still leading, right? And there's my part, and there's God's part, and then there's their part. Like our kids are responsible for their decisions. You can be the greatest parent in the world, teach them whatever you know, the gospel teaches, and they could still grow up, and they could still veer into the wrong areas, into the wrong path. Doesn't mean you failed necessarily. What it means is you're still guiding and you're still leading. And by the way, you're still trusting in God. Because we're not just teaching this because it's good information. We're teaching this because that's what we're doing. And we found that it works. And so we're teaching and we're encouraging and we're blessing and we're constantly reaching out to them and, and, and walking with them in grace, right? I mean, we're not pounding them in the head with the Bible. I told you back in the day and you're, no. We're like, man, How's life? Eh, it's all right. It's always going to be eh, all right, as long as you're not following Jesus, right? And so every opportunity, God give us that opportunity, and we speak truth into their life. And that journey continues for you. And so our job is to show them how to have that confidence and faith in the midst of trial, in the face of adversity, and even when things are going well. The next gen matters. Let's look at them as the solution, not the problem, all right? That's why Timothy, or Titus chapter 2 tells older women, to teach the younger women how to follow and trust Christ. That's why 2 Timothy 2 verse 2 says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Don't see the next gen as a problem. See them as a solution. I wanted to close our time today with a conversation with a real-life millennial. He's here. And so would you guys please welcome to the stage Dalton Wilson. Dalton, man, I appreciate you coming today. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And uh, Dalton asked for gluten-free muffins this morning, and yeah. I had to, had to teach him yeah, some gluten. truth about, I'm just kidding, he didn't ask for gluten-free. You know, gluten the silly free. millennials got to get their gluten-free stuff in, you know. <laughs> um, well, thanks for coming today. Just graduated, and you did the welcome today. And so, man, you've just been a busy man, and I appreciate you uh, pouring into the lives of so many adults here today. Yeah, and, I appreciate and, it. And uh, not only does the next gen matter, but the older gen matters too. Yeah. And so we're... We're uh, talking to them a little bit today, and so could you just kind of tell us a little bit about your story and a little bit about how you came to faith and, and just your journey a little bit? Right, right. So my name, like Pastor Trent said, I'm Dalton Wilson. Uh, just graduated from Maryville High School, so there's that. Uh, thank you, whoever clapped. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, I'm the oldest of three kids. My mom and dad, Heather and Greg, they're right over there. Love you guys. Mom, happy Mother's Day. Uh, well, so how I came to faith was um, one weekend at our old church, me and my dad, uh, dad signed us up for a father-son uh, camping trip. So my dad, you know, I was like, I don't even know how I remember, but I think I wanted to go. Who knows? I love to go camping. But so we went, we went and, you know, leading up to this trip, like I felt God, I was 10 years old at the time, by the way. So leading up to the trip, you know, I felt God start to like tug on my heart a little bit and God was starting to do things. So throughout this trip, we were just surrounded by godly men you know, just trying to pour into the, you know, pour into the next generation, be there for their sons, and just be able just to have a good time. So, you know, on the way back from this trip, I looked at my dad, and I, you know, <laughs> he got really emotional, of course, and I looked at my dad, and I said, Dad, it's time. I think I'm ready to give my life to the Lord. And right there, driving back in the mountains, dad was praying and driving at the same time. I don't know how he was doing it, but he was. And I just remember me just praying right then and there, you know, God, like, I want to give you everything. Like, God, I want you to be the savior of my life. And uh, so that's how I came to faith. That's so. awesome. Yeah. 
Well, good. So that was 10 years old. And then, um, so life continued to happen in the high school. And tell us a little bit about the next phase. Yeah. So, you know, things were going great. You know, young, younger, you know, you're not open to many things, you know, but then you get to high school and sophomore year, you know, you start to get, you know, things start to become available and more, you know, you, you try to find the group of fa- friends that, you know, that you fit in with. And I found myself in a situation where I wasn't, I was with the wrong group. I was going to the wrong places. And I mean, everybody in here knows what that means. You know, I wasn't, I was living for myself and I was looking, you know, well, I don't want to be unpopular. I don't want to be all this stuff. So let's go with them, even though that I know that it wasn't right for me. And it wasn't right for my situation because, you know, during this time, um, I was involved in my student ministry and stuff. And this, this time, this was still at my old church, you know, and through all, throughout all this, my parents were like, you know, I feel like God's calling us to go somewhere else, too, as like a church. So we, we, we came to Foothills one weekend, and, uh, you know, Dad and Mom were trying to get me to go to students, and I was just, I was so against going to students. And <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't even know why, I guess, because I was just so connected, and I knew that. Because you were sinful. Yeah, because I was were... sinful. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was sinful. It's okay. I was sinful. Grace of Jesus. <laughs> Well, anyways, uh, you know, I started to come, and little did I know, like, that was going to change my life for forever, and hmm. I was going to be able to do things that, you know, that I never thought I'd be able to go to. I just remember one of the first nights that I really started to get connected. Didn't even know who, I don't even think Pastor Landon knew my name, barely knew him. We decided to go to the Haiti mission trip meeting. Hmm. And I just remember, you know, God really starting to, like, take back over my life and really start to take control of my life again through that season, you know, um, just by, you know, giving me opportunities. Yeah. To get back <clears throat> so you went to Haiti. Right. And, and so what happened next? Okay, so yeah, while we were at Haiti, and before, even before Haiti, I started to feel like God was calling me into the ministry. So, you know, I, I just, before I went to Haiti, I said, you know, I, I was in, I, start, I just now started to get back to where I needed to be, you know, mm-hmm. with my faith. So while I was in Haiti the entire time, I was just being able to build that connection with Pastor Landon because he led the trip, and I was able to, um, you know, grow through that season of my life. Like, I was able just to, like, Landon started pouring into me. My small group leader, you know, when we got back from Haiti, started pouring into me, and I had these guys in my life, these, these men that were, you know, that were so faithful, and they, they took a chance with me. You know, like, just, like, their boldness just to take a chance with me, like, made things so much different. Of course, like I said, like, I feel that call to the ministry now just because of their, their willingness just to, just to, you know, you know, mentor me through this time because it was, you yeah. know, a lot of stuff was happening and it was pretty cool just to see how that all played yeah, out. Yeah, and so they walked you through that, some of the temptations of high school, kind of messed up and, and failed in those, but, but came into that experience through Haiti and that's kind of what God has, has, has been doing in your life now. And, and as a result of that, your calling and kind of what you're experiencing in that, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, I've gotten a lot of opportunities on Wednesday nights with FC students, you know, growing that relationship with Sally and Pastor Landon to be like, be able to come in and kind of be a part of that team. I'm part of our family ministry team now, and I'm getting, I got, actually got my first opportunity to preach a couple weeks ago, which was really awesome, just to see how God started, you know, God was using me in that, and I started to be able to, uh, you know, I was able to jump in with a small group, a sixth grade small group, and be able to start to pour into these younger guys, and you know, God just really started, uh, you know, opening up doors for me, and uh, it's just like, 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 just being able to be faithful for him was started to pay back in so much that I never thought that it'd be able to, and I've got to do a lot of cool things. That's awesome. That. So thinking about ministry, thinking about 
ministry school and, and God's calling in your life. And so uh, you've been uh, doing a lot, I know. Um, tell us, help some of the adults here today uh, think through what are some of the biggest challenges that uh, your generation is really going through right now. Yeah, so I know while I was thinking about this, like the one thing that, like, that automatically popped in my mind was like social media and your self-image. Because I know like my, a couple, a few of my friends, and I mean even me in some cases, have like, you know, people go to their social media and people post what they want other people to see because they think it'll make themselves look better. You know, you, you can always put up a front in front of somebody, but you really don't know how broken somebody is too, you know? Like you can, like I know that I'll see people that, that, that like I just know because they're close to me putting up like things on social media that, that make their lives look like they're all together, but really they're broken. You know, it's just like people are just constantly trying to make their self-image look better to the world. And I think if everybody just looked at it like how Jesus looked at us, like things would be completely different because, you know, Jesus doesn't see Jesus doesn't see that we're, that we're overweight or, you know, that we're not, you know, we're not somebody else. Jesus sees us as somebody who is, like, who, who he loves and who he wants to pour into. And I think that, you know, just looking at people, people's self-image is just, it really, like, affects them a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say to adults that are maybe thinking about pouring into the next gen? Like, how, how can they help them overcome some of those right. self-esteem and issues? Yeah. So I think the best way is to get involved in the student ministry. I think you know, leading a small, and you know, I, I, people sometimes think they're not cool enough to be in the student ministry, and they're not going to, like, make, I don't know, just they're not cool enough to be in the student ministry. It's not really about being cool. It's about being able to make a connection with the student mm. that's going to impact their life. Hey, that's good stuff right there. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. But anyways, <laughs> so, you know, when when, you, when you're, like, feeling that God's wanting to, like, work through you through students, a great way would be to get into the student ministry because, you know, you get to build that bond with some students. And, you know, you can, they may not have the best home life. They may not be in the best situation. But when they see you, you know, they see how much you care and how much you love them, like, that can do so much for somebody. Yeah, that connection and helping, you know, in whatever they're going through in yeah, that season absolutely. of life. And so many... Uh, just, you know, just to help with the statistic, like a lot of your friends, are their parents divorced? Yeah, I, yeah, I know a lot of, you know, parents here are divorced. And, and, yeah. and dads who might even be in the picture but not leading spiritually. Yeah. I mean, it's just everywhere, right? Yeah. And so the need is, is just huge. It's monumental. And so what would you tell um, parents today? Maybe something that maybe they should do more of and something that they should do less of. <laughs> yeah, okay, so this is a tough one because I'm not a parent and I've <laughs> just graduated. So it's just like, okay, well, so something I think, so I'm going to start off with like something they should do less of. Like, okay. I think, I think, so something they should do less of is they should quit letting their kids make excuses not to show up here on a Sunday morning and a Wednesday night. Mm. Because the fact that like, yeah. So... So when they show up here on a Sunday morning, and especially on a Wednesday night, that's their opportunity to get plugged in. You know, like we have, like small groups is huge here at our church, but I mean, even in our student ministry, like we push that so much mm. and be able to have that bond with those people. Because I know in my small group, like those are like my, like those are like my brothers, you know, like those are my bros and I can go to them for, go to them for anything. And I think having that, so I think that parents need to, and also that means that goes with leading by example too. You can't expect your kid to show up if you're not going to show up on a Sunday morning. Like, nobody's going to want to come here if, or no kids are going to want to come here if their parents won't even wake up to come here on a Sunday morning. I think, mm. and I think parents getting involved, not even, you know, it doesn't even have to go to the extent of serving. I just think, 
you know, just being, becoming a member of the church and just getting involved because we're doing, we're doing good things here. And I think that people, I think that it's, it's like, it's an amazing opportunity to be a part of. So it's good stuff. I kind of want to walk off the stage and just let you take a Bible and start (laughs) preaching. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be a little crazy, wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) So what about, so, so less of more of. Okay. Yeah. So something they should do more of. Okay. So what should parents, okay. So more of parents should be more like worried about who their kids are hanging out with too. Cause I know for me, I was trying to hide so much from my parents because mm. I knew that the people I was hanging out with were not the right people for mm. me. And I was trying to hide that from my parents. So like any way that I could. And I think if parents were like concerned about, you know, they really met who their friends were hanging out with. It shows a lot about who like mm-hmm. who we are too. Yeah. Cause I know that when I'm, when I'm around a certain group of people for a long amount of time, I'm going to start acting or doing, or like doing things that that group of people is doing. And I mean, if you're, if, if like if they're hanging out with people that are going to be partying, well, it's not like they're just not going to party. You know, it's just like, they're not just going to, you know, go home. Like they're going to be there too. And they're going to make those decisions. So I think like looking about who your kids are hanging out with. is. And so I would say a lot of parents just assume that their kids' friends are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And and so how would they find out that these kids are not so awesome? I mean, I don't know. That's a good one. <laughs> I know. I, that wasn't in the script. I yeah, know. It was yeah. kind of off. Uh, but you, you actually mentioned it this morning. We were talking about social media. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Social media. That's a, yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Okay. So if you, I mean, just like if you look at somebody's, like what they're posting on Instagram or what they're posting on Twitter and, you know, what they're putting on the Snapchat. Listen, I'm going to throw all the students in here under the bus, but Ooh. I know Snapchat is the best way to see who somebody is like, like hands down, like, if you want to know what somebody's doing, just go to Snapchat, and you'll figure everything out, and that's just, like, one way that you can, that, like, parents can see what their kids yeah. are doing, is just, like, through just being, like, involved in, like, social media, I guess. Yeah, so being involved and seeing that stuff, and, and uh, I think the excuse that a lot of parents might give is, I just don't know how to do that stuff, and yeah. we got, we, I mean, it's, it's on us to figure it out and to be engaged, and so, right. you know, I think if, if we were to go around the room, I think a lot of you would be like, man, I like that, I like that guy. I, I would love to like invest into somebody like that. He's going into ministry. He's solid. He's a great kid and all American, all these great things. But I mean, you weren't always like this. I mean, you told us a no, little bit and, and you could go into more detail. And like when you were a middle school kid, you know, you know, you don't envision all of these, you know, years later and how awesome, you know, he's turned out. And so uh, what, I would, what I would encourage you to, to think is this, this is what it can look like. And we've got several other examples of students who, who are getting it and God is blessing, God is changing, and, and they, they're, they're getting it in incredible ways. But you've got to see it. You've got to see what's, what, what could be and not, you know, the stinky, smelly immaturity that you're, you're dealing with as a middle schooler or whatever and, and, and see, okay, well, if I start investing now, you know, in five, six, seven years, my impact is going to be incredible. And so, uh, Dalton, thank you for coming out here, man. Yeah, Would you guys give Dalton it. a round of applause? Thank you, guys. <clears throat> and so, let me close with three things that you might write down, and it's simple. What do we do with all this? Well, what we do is, number one, we, we decide to engage the process. Decide to engage the process. and Decide to engage, period. 
like decide to engage, okay, that I'm, I'm going to step up as a parent. I'm going to step up into the family ministry. I want to serve kids. I want to serve and students. I, I want to be present and be there. Uh, and, and, and let me just, if you're worried about being cool, let me just kind of set the stage. You're not. <laughs> We're not, period. And so don't, we don't even have to worry about that. We just, we just recognize that, look, here's who I am, and, and, and there's somebody here that I know that, that God is going to allow me to invest in. And then secondly, I would say, empty your cup. Empty your cup. We're not, we're not called to fill everybody's cup. You're not called to, to, to fill everybody in this room or every student, every kid in this generation. But the scripture would call us to empty your cup. So my role is I'm going to empty my cup and, 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 and then God's going to fill that up and I'm going to empty and I'm going to empty. And, and, and the mentality is I, I want to invest everything I have into this generation and, and uh, whoever God brings into my life and those special relationships and disciple and fill them up. And I'm not going to save the world. I'm not going to you know, be able to um, you know, do everything, but I, I, I can empty the cup that God has given to me. And then thirdly, we want to focus on the end result. Focus on the end result, not just focus on who they are today. We want to focus on who they could be. And that's really the point. And, and, and you see Dalton and there's so many other students that get it and understand it. And so we want to focus on that end. And, and so um, I think the call to action for some of you is to take that step and get involved in our family ministry. And, and I say that because the next gen matters. You know, we created this place largely for them. Uh, the reason why we do the music the way we do, the reason why we do the lights the way we do, the reason why we dress the way we dress and the way we preach the way we preach is for the next generation. And so uh, I know some of you in that boomer generation that are here, you get it. And that's why you're here. And uh, in that, that Gen X buster generation, that's why you brought your students here and you get it. And so uh, we want to continue and we need your help. And so uh, if you're interested in serving, if you're interested in, in finding out more information about that, hit the family ministry tents today and they will hook you up. They'll help you take that step. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the next generation. Lord, we want to see them for who they could become. And we want to see them as the solution. We don't want to, we want to blame them for all the problems, God. We want to lift them up to you. And ask God that you would use our church to reach them with the gospel, to disciple them, to equip them, and to partner with parents to accomplish the same endeavor. And Lord, we just want to honor you today. As we close out this day, may we give you our best as we focus on you and hear from you today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.